Hi, I'm Chris, and I like Lucha Libre. Do you like to sit around for a while? Found yourself a little pet crocodile. Do you like to just live in the moment? Do you like the stars, the moon, and the comets? What do you like, do you like? 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 Welcome to What Do You Like, the podcast where we get to know a person through their passions and hobbies. I'm your host, Jeremy Zaha, and I have a very exciting conversation to share with you. Uh, today, we're speaking to someone who, I don't know how much he realizes this, but is very integral into uh, my position in podcasting um not too long ago i started listening to podcasts like crazy but the idea of actually doing a podcast was never going to happen but then this man his co-host on his podcast uh, invited me to be a guest on his podcast and that day uh, a wall was broken the forbidden door was open. Uh, and I realized that the, the podcasting is a real attainable thing. And it, and it started me on a journey to figure out, like, what am I going to podcast about? Um, and uh, my first ideas were uncreatively very similar to this man's podcast. And I realized, like, no, I mean, that's already taken care of. What am I going to add to that space? And then the creation of this podcast kind of bloomed from there and that all spaces are kind of well taken care of. Why can't I create a space where we just talk about all those other spaces, all those other passions, all those other things that, that people love. Um, so that's a long way of saying uh, this man's one of the reasons why we're this podcast exists. Um, he is a incredibly generous man. Um, and we were just talking before we started recording a very tired man raising two young kids right now, but he's taken time out of his day to, to speak with us and to, to share a, a huge passion of his. And I am so excited to say, welcome to the podcast, Chris Romero. What's up? I mean, I, you could keep talking. I mean, that, that felt really good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's a it's a true statement. I mean, uh, I think this and... whole episode is going to be, what do I like? I like Jeremy's introductions <laughs> of me. Like, <laughs> I, it, Truly, you and you and Charlie. I mean, I started to listen to podcast. I think I was kind of early in the podcast, but not like cutting edge. I started listening probably 2010, 2011. Okay. So it's pretty early, but like not not like Jimmy Pardo or first episode of WTF early. Mm -hmm. but like and i always thought like oh that'd be kind of cool to do a podcast but like it just seems so daunting um but then you you truly you and charlie truly like open the door saying like well no i mean i mean it there's work involved absolutely but it's you don't need a studio you don't need right, uh, right. like a, a big corporation behind you you can do it yourself um so i truly credit you two for that um but enough, enough about this podcast. Okay. <laughs> We're here to talk about something you love. 
and something that I know a little bit about, um, but it's definitely a, a, a branch of a passion of mine that I'm not an expert on. And for those listening, we're talking about Lucha Libre. Um, now, I'm sure a lot of people listening, their experience with Lucha Libre is might, Nacho Libre. Yeah, might only be Nacho Libre. Um, <laughs> but I think other people like that are huge wrestling fans, like they they know Lucha Libre for like the acrobatics mm-hmm. and the the masks, obviously. But there's a there's a deeper like a lore as, as we said before the podcast too. And I, I'm just so happy that we get to kind of like dig into Lucha Libre itself and like how it influenced you and your development. So to kind of get started, where did Lucha Libre enter your life? Um, it's, it's funny that you ask. And of course we're doing this podcast about Lucha Libre, but um, I've actually been telling this story often um, in conversations that just come up. Um, my introduction to Lucha Libre was through my grandfather. Like I grew up with my, my maternal grandparents uh, for the first year, eight years of my life. Um, you know, we lived in Mexico together and then we, you know, came to the U S after that. But when I think about wrestling Lucha Libre is that one moment, my grandpa, he was sitting down the couch, just flip, you know, flipping through the channels or not even flipping. Cause I'm pretty sure the TVs were the, the knobs. Oh yeah. Uh, those, those, you had to get up and turn the, the, the thing. So that wrestling Lucha Libre was on and it's, it sounds weird. It's going to sound weird, but I didn't think anything of it. Like I sat down with him, I watched it and he cracked open a Tecate and handed it to me. And I think at this age, I was like six years old. Um, and it sounds weird, but I, like I would, you know, I would be playing in the house, whatever. He'll be drinking his beer and then I'll swig by and, and I will play around that I was going to drink from his beer. Um, and that day we just sat down and we were watching it. We're talking about, you know, the the high flying moves or whatnot. And he he handed me a, a beer. And of course, my mom got, you know, got home a couple minutes later or whatever. And I remember her taking it away like Dad, What are you doing? Um, but, you know. I didn't think much of it. Like I, I, I watched it. I was enthralled. Like she took up the beer. We joked around a little bit about that and he never handed me another beer in his life. But, um, but yeah, like that's, that's where I was, I was hooked. I'm like, it, it was, it was something different. Cause I know uh, like during Saturday or Sundays, I can't remember. They would televise um, bullfighting a lot. So I would, I would watch it, trying to understand that. I never asked anybody like what this was or whatnot, but it caught my attention and I would watch it and I would try to understand like, why are they killing the bulls? Like, what's the, the significance of this? Um, but somehow like that translate, once I knew that Lucha Libre was on on the weekends, I would watch that and, you know, I would just keep the TV on to make sure and I would peek around to see if Lucha Libre was on. Um, until I fully understood like the the characters and there were the good guys and the bad guys, the rudos and the technicals, like, cause that's all like, from my recollection, that's all there was. There was no storyline. No, uh, it was just, they would throw a match in, in, in the middle of the show and they didn't have to be a storyline. Cause you knew who the good guys were. You knew who the bad guys were. There were no, um, like you would rarely switch from, uh, from a heel to a face, from a technical to a rudo. So that that whole uh, thing always intrigued me and and I, I fell in love with it and, and I carried that throughout like 
I'm not I'm not gonna say that ever since I was six years old I watch lucha libre or wrestling religiously but whenever that would be on tv i'm like okay i'll leave it on see what's up um mm -hmm. so i mean i I think that seems like a a common theme with a lot of these passions is like there's this moment a lot of them it's very young and a lot of it's family related Mm -hmm. um was it almost like a it seems like it's almost a, a chance to really bond with your grandfather a little bit too yeah, for sure. Do you, when you were in Mexico, did you ever go to a Lucha Libre show? No, no I didn't. I've, I've never been. Wow. Um, obviously, that has to be a, a dream in the future. Yeah, that's that's that is definitely, you know, a box that I need to check off. You know, um, one of the things that I definitely want to do and, and there's different arenas, right? Like there's Arena Mexico, there's the Coliseo, there's like all these like staple arenas that that would be sold out no matter if the show was on a Tuesday night, Thursday night or a weekend, like people were really like in. And also, so just to give you some, some insight into the Lucha Libre world in Mexico, like Lucha Libre is being more acceptable now, but it would be labeled as a, you know, low income, uh, you know, raunchy neighborhood people would go to to the lucha libre world like there was a time where it was like oh it was it was like boxing right like you would pay top peso to go to a rest a lucha libre show but then eventually just kind of i don't know why i got this perception of of like only low-income people would go to these shows so now it's like kind of an, an upswing and, and it's like okay now it's more acceptable to the point that now there's a, a national Lucha Libre day in Mexico. So it's it's been accepted more, but it, it's weird how that that uh that wave of like it was it was like boxing at some point, you know, when you had the heights of El Santo and Blue Demon and when where these guys were superstars, they were creating movies, they were in TV shows. Um, which I think Blue Demon, there's like something happening with uh Disney Plus where he's doing some series there. Yeah, that, I think yeah. And Disney offered him like top dollar to take off his mask, and he said no. Well, I didn't know there was like money involved. I just heard that he just refused to take off his mask. Mm-hmm. But that's even crazy that they offered him money to take off his mask. Wow. Well, I, I think that's a perfect time to kind of to to go into this. Like uh, the one, I think the the one thing that lucha libre has that like other areas of pro wrestling really hasn't maintained is a level of mystique mm-hmm. um does that have anything to do like is that something that kind of attracts you to lucha libre as a as a sect of pro wrestling oh for sure i mean because you would see i mean there's luchadors that don't wear masks right and there's one thing i tell charlie all the time i'm like well a luchador doesn't have to have a mask but the mask think traces back to the Aztec days, right? When there'll be that, that competition, like they will create their own masks, you know, whether it's out of mud or, or something that represents that fighting spirit, you know, that, that God of whatever they want to represent. Um, so now luchadors having masks, it's like kind of like the staple, like you, you're carrying that legacy. You're carrying that uh, historical um, meaning behind, behind the, the, the art of Lucha Libre. So yeah, that definitely attracted me. And, and it's, you know, as a, you know, the designs, the, the creativity, like some, some masks look really basic and that's how they started off. Right. Like it was just the fact of covering your face, 
but then people started adding certain elements and like you'll pick up a mask and you might not you're like oh it looks cool but you don't know that you know connects connect is, is a wrestler and i have it somewhere back here um you know his mask has like certain you know aesthetic symbols that mean something to him so like there are lit- little bits and pieces in the masks that kind of give it that extra meaning and and that's why i also got into mask collecting like i wanted to have kind of like a piece of of history if you may but like it was it was unique it was something different yeah i mean that that is true that uh something for because i mean masks are worn by other parts of pro wrestling but it really is something that seems to have started with lucha libre and as you mentioned like it's good to know like the history of the the aztecs being like the source um that's something i didn't even know um that's really and it makes so it makes a lot of sense that you are i mean wrestling is very much a it's a show obviously but also it's this like passion play where you're you're creating this persona and it's it's like a live action superhero fight um and i think lucha libre is one part that really kind of perfects that where like you mentioned earlier there's the good guys and the bad guys and that's it you don't need anything else Mm -hmm. all you all you need is someone to cheer for and someone for that person to hopefully beat um, and if they don't win, that just means that you, then the next time they fight, you want the good guy to win that much more. And I think it, it, it makes so much sense that like as a six year old, like that's something you that attracted you to that. Now, and the, the weird thing is that I was never attracted to, you know, the typical superhero like Superman, Batman, like. You know, He Man, whatever was going on uh, during that time, it was like Thundercats. Like, I was never really attracted. I knew who those characters were, but I was not attracted to that. I was attracted to, I guess, a more realistic version of that, which to me, that was Lucha Libre, Luchadors, you know? Do you think it's like there's any cultural connection to that as well? I, I think so. I think, uh, and you know, and I was telling you, like, when you, when you invited me on the podcast, you definitely made me think, like, what do I like? And, and being Lucha Libre, then I started asking myself, why do I like Lucha Libre? What is that deeper connection? Um, and, and I think that as, a, you know, as an immigrant to this country, like, I feel like that was, you know, like you you talk to, you know, many people. And that's why, like, when Mexico, the soccer team comes and plays at Soldier Field, it's packed. Like, there's not another soul you could fit in that stadium. Because it's that connection that you have to the place you came from. Right. So to me, Lucha Libre was that like, I, like it allowed me to carry some of that, you know, of, of what I enjoy back home. And it, 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 there's some there's definitely like a deeper connection for sure uh, into the culture, into into those, you know, good times that I that I had, you know, and even if I was eight years old, like, I don't know, it just it just feels like it just felt right. It was a calling like I, I wanted to to participate in that world. And now with the, you know the, the podcast and, and being involved in, in in independent wrestling here in Chicago it it allowed me to to then like explore that world even more i mean for so many people for so long particularly in america the things that were portrayed in pop culture did not reflect the actual people in the country 
I mean, it, it reflected a, a, a smaller group of the people in this country. And I think it's so great that there is so much more access to all these different diverse uh, forms of entertainment, especially now with the Internet, where, I mean, I've gotten it pretty into Japanese wrestling, which would never be available uh, unless you had a someone in Japan that could record it and send it to you. Um, but I kind of want to go back to when you came to the United States. Uh, were you still able to watch Lucha Libre? And did you like kind of transition to the American style pro wrestling? And then what was that like comparing the two styles? Yeah, so it was definitely limited, right? Because first of all, like when when I came, I remember we only had like one Spanish channel, and if you wanted to watch Lucha Libre, it would probably be like on a Saturday five a.m. slot, right? So super hard. But I would still catch it once in a while. Once I found out that that was on, like I would make it a point, like yeah, I'm up at five a.m. on Saturday just to watch half an hour worth of Lucha Libre. Um, but then the transition to, to, you know, American style or professional wrestling was through um, a PlayStation game, WWF Attitude. Um, my cousin, obviously, he had been here. Uh, he was born here. Um, we, you know, he, I think he lived in Texas. He moved to Chicago. So we started visiting often, got the PlayStation. And he had this game and we were playing like because we would play, you know, crash bandicoot or whatever but he got the wwf game we started playing and i'm like oh wait so this is this is lucha libre it's a different take on it um and i would pick kane because kane was the guy with the mask that is that's crazy that that makes so much sense but it would be so frustrating because he would be so slow <laughs> right, like I wanted, I wanted Bret Hart because Bret Hart was fast and he did like a crucifix pin, and um, you know I remember that vividly. But yeah, like Keen was super slow, but he was on with the mask, so I will pick him. Um, and then my cousin started telling me like, "Well, you can watch this stuff, you know, um, on Monday nights." Um, so then I would tune in, even though I wouldn't understand what they were saying, like. I would still watch and kind of I, w- I would be able to follow the storyline. Um, and then also, like at that point, like rest, uh, Lucha Libre was also on uh, a different channel because at that point, my dad, you know, acquired the the magic black box. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, so I was able to have a couple extra channels in Spanish and they had uh, Lucha Libre on on Mondays. So I would watch from like five to seven or six to eight. And then when raw would start, I would switch over to raw and watch that till like nine or 10, whenever that it's a 10 o'clock. So I will, it will be like Monday will be like four or five hours of Lucha slash pro wrestling. So that's, that's how, and, and you know, that's how I started. That's how I started through Monday night raw. And then my cousin went to Mexico, the one that introduced me to uh, professional wrestling. And I would, I would tape Monday night raw. And whenever a family member or somebody was going to Mexico, I will ship those tapes to them. Oh, wow. So, so yeah, like I wish he did the same thing for me and tape some Lucha Libre, but he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it seemed like you're still able to 
you're a position where you could consume everything. Yeah. What was it like? So as you got older, I know there's kind of this trend that most people, Mm -hmm. they develop a social life in like high school and they kind of fall away from wrestling. Was that something that you experienced or were you able to kind of maintain that passion throughout? No, I definitely had, uh, you know, that lull, that period where we didn't watch any wrestling, but I kind of kept my ear to it still. Um, also, um, you know, not maybe not during high school, but later on after high school, my brother started getting to, into, you know, WWE. And, you know, he will be watching and he will talk to me about it. I'm like, I have no idea what's going on, but I'll. I'll make an effort to at least know the storylines that would be going on so I can talk to him about it. And I took him to a Lucha Libre show. He had to be like maybe six, seven, eight, something like that. Um, I took him to a Lucha Libre show at the, is it the Congress Theater? Congress, that's the one that's shut down, right? Yes, the Congress Theater, yes. So that's, yeah, we went there. Uh, I took him... um, it was Dr. Wagner was there. La Parca was there. Um, I believe Pimpinela, uh, the, one of the Exoticos, who also is, it's considered a luchador, but, you know, doesn't wear a mask. But she's, he, she, I, I actually don't even know what the proper uh, noun would be to address them. Uh, and I should have, you know, asked Cassandra when last time I saw him. But, you know, there's a group of Exoticos, just like there's a group of minis, right? The smaller wrestlers. Mm-hmm. So there's like different groups within the, the, the Lucha Libre world. Um, and, and he got to experience it and, and he, he had a great time. And the deal was like, come with me to the show. And, you know, whenever Raw or SmackDown comes to Chicago, I'll take you to that. Um, so we, we eventually made it to Raw. I took him there. Um, but, but that his experience, you know, watching Lucha Libre, like I just remember him having lots of fun. And it was a different world too, because somehow we made it to like a stage seat, stage seats at the Congress Theater. So the wrestlers, the luchadors, will come through the stage. So he, you know, I remember somewhere in in a, in a drive, thumb drive somewhere. There's pictures of that, like where we took pictures with uh, La Parca and Dr. Wagner and and all of these other luchadors. Um, where now, if you wanted to do that, I'm sure there's there's a price to pay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's definitely mm-hmm. been a, a shift. Well, I think also how wrestlers make money mm-hmm. has shifted drastically. Yeah. Where, I mean, that's a, a big part of their income. But was that your first Lucha Libre show when you brought? When you brought um, I, I think so. Yeah. Like the first Lucha Libre show that I attended was that show. Um, then after that, like, then I found out like there's, you know, quote unquote, regular shows at the Congress theater. So I would go there. Um, I, I even went to a, I don't know if you heard of the promotion Lucha Vavum. Yeah. They're, they're from California, I believe. Yes. Uh, they had a couple shows here. So like I attended that to see what that was like. And that was kind of like a, a, a mesh of, of Lucha Libre, but also burlesque, but also professional wrestling. So that was a that was a interesting uh, you know it's just interesting shows that they will put together, um, and yeah like then I started exploring around and then I found independent you know wrestling uh, professional wrestling, 
and eventually led me to Gali Lucha Libre, which is apparently the oldest promotion in town. And that, I mean, I think that that speaks to the, well, one, the, the art of Lucha Libre, but also like the market in the, in Chicago Mm -hmm. area. I think it's, it's really interesting that, I mean, that there is such a diverse group of wrestling companies in Chicago. So when you start going to these smaller shows, Mm -hmm. when does it, does it kind of add to the enjoyment almost being at like being in a more intimate environment and were you able to kind of form more connection to it? No. So 100%, like, um, I think what roped me back into wrestling was Lucha Underground, right? Lucha Underground, um, they, for for a hot minute, they they were advertising in Spanish-speaking channels, um, even though it wasn't a, a, you know, a a Spanish-speaking show, like, they they bought airspace, and, and, like, my family knows that I always like wrestling, Lucha Libre, and I remember probably my dad or my mom is like, Hey, are you watching this stuff? And I'm like, nah, but I've been seeing it around. So eventually I, I'm like, I YouTube did watch some, some stuff on YouTube and I'm like, okay, okay. I'm liking this. And I didn't know how to watch cause I didn't have L right network at that point. So I'm like, all right, well, let me subscribe to um, fubo.tv. Like I remember cause I would used to like hop in and off that service to watch uh, soccer, international soccer. And they had L right network somehow. So I'm like, once like that door opened is like, oh, like I'm taking it all in. Like I went to, you know, to the temple to, you know, California to for some tapings like twice. And they would be like 24 hour trips. Like I will fly there in the morning, meet up with a friend of mine. I will get them tickets to we will go to the show, go grab some drinks and food. And then I will fly right back. Wow. Um, and I remember the first time I did that with with Carla, my fiance, we went to an AAW show at Berwyn. We, you know, we watched the show. We went to a, a hotel, stayed there for a couple hours to our flight. We we flew out to California, watched three tapings, I think. Um, when, you know, got some food and flew right back home. So like real quick trips, but it was like I was so I, I was so in love with Lucha Underground. Like that, that was so much fun for me, no matter, you know, if I didn't get any sleep or whatnot, like the experience was great. And then all of a sudden you have companies that were bringing in the talent, you know, to Chicago. So whether it was Gali or AAW, who I think they were the first ones to bring in Pentagon and Phoenix um, into, into the scene here. And you were able to go meet these guys that, you know, were on TV, they were kicking ass and it just like sparked that whole, um, passion for lucha libre all over again and seeing that these guys that you knew that were wrestling locally in mexico and and, you know these little towns and yeah sure they were triple a superstars and they had you know uh, some contracts with other companies but now seeing them internationally and now they're representing you in a way right like they're they're from the place you came from and then you have that connection all over again and it was like they're kicking ass i want to support them um 
and you know then lucha libre was the uh, lucha libre lucha underground was a debacle and and you know it all went away sadly but the talent and the people that were exposed on that platform are are doing pretty good from themselves for themselves yeah i was just gonna say like i i think the success of even though it only lasted what i think four seasons four seasons yeah um all available in tubi oh really for free Mm -hmm. that is good to know i didn't know that um but i think just the fact that they you can see the wrestlers from that promotion in every major promotion at this point i think almost nobody is completely unsigned that had a major role um, in that, whether it's in WWE, whether it's in AEW, Impact, New Japan, like it's insane the the uh, kind of spread. But also, one thing that I think is really unique to to Lucha Underground was the cinematic feel of it, which oh, is sure. definitely permeating throughout all of wrestling as well. And I think it it kind of do you do you feel like that cinematic feel uh, it, it definitely to- bridged the, it bridged the gap it bridged the gap it bridged two worlds where you had the lucha libre right you had this talent that that was in mexico and they were doing their thing and someone were flying out to japan and and lived in that bubble but then you also grabbed the audience that like professional wrestling and then grab those other people that just enjoy that cinematic feel and in and it formed storylines, storylines that made sense, that were simple to to jump on and, and be part of. Uh, one of the, the best things I think that came out of Lucha Underground or that happened during Lucha Underground were Aztec Warfare. That was their version of the Royal Rumble. I don't know if you've ever watched one of those, um, but all you had to do is like maybe watch two or three episodes to kind of know a few storylines. And every person that came out as an entrance to that uh, Aztec Warfare had some sort of purpose of being there. Like everyone had a storyline. It wasn't like a Royal Rumble where random people would come out. It would be the entire roster that would eventually end up in the ring, but they all had feuds. Um, and it was just like, I would look forward to that. Like, like I would look forward to the Royal Rumble, right? The Royal Rumble can give you surprises, you know, comebacks from superstars from 10 years ago or whatever. And that's all great. But to me, Aztec Warfare was like, oh, this, this is going to tell me different stories and there's going to be either solutions to those stories or it's going to take me to the next week so I can watch. Like there was always, there would never be any wasted airtime. Yeah. And I, I think that is very unique, but I wonder almost if that's like complete story and like linking Mm storylines has anything to do with, because from my understanding back in, in Mexico, the luchadors were very much like, unlike in America, they were very much like mainstream uh, superstars in like the fifties. And like, there's the famous like blue demon mm-hmm. um, and El Santo movies mm-hmm. um, that like were very popular throughout so there was this like almost cinematic link to lucha libre as a whole i wonder if uh, it seems like lucha underground just found the the perfect way to kind of transition that and make that a available 
to america like to the american audience and, um, and change the, the the wrestling landscape a little bit right because now you see these lucha well they would be labeled as lucha libre moves the high flying like happens in pretty much every match now when before that wasn't the case yeah that is that is true it, it, the entire wrestling world is a, a way more athletic style and faster pace style and, and you would talk to hardcore lucha libre fans and they would argue that yeah high flying is a part of it but lucha libre it's mat style chain wrestling um like that's uh you know in spanish it's called jabeo it's like uh holds and 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 submission moves um which they're they're you know whenever you see a sequence of of pure lucha libre like that's mostly what it is High flying is kind of like a different category that some luchadors will do, but now somehow, like now you see somebody doing a high flying move and it'll be considered a lucha libre style move. That's, I mean, that I think that's really good information. I think it's, it, I mean, now looking back on it, obviously, you think of, I think it's almost because in a lot of ways, that's how it's presented mm-hmm. as like oh a high flying move that that uh, there's uh, you, you'll hear it on especially like AEW the high flying moves all have uh spanish based names mm-hmm. to link back to lucha libre but like you're right there is like this this mat based like these like insane like grappling sequences mm-hmm. uh, that are very much linked to lucha libre and I think it's good to to remember that it's not Lucha Libre is not just a, a, a like a one trick pony. Like it's a very diverse and intricate art form. And and it's kind of hard sometimes to get used to, right? Because it's a lot of there's definitely one on ones, but mostly it's you know tag matches or or trios um, or six mans even. You know, because it would be a lot of in the well, I want to say mid mid to late 90s, it was a lot of faction based in Mexico. Like there were a lot of factions, uh, which out of that, you know, years later, you had Perros del Mal, which is where also, you know, uh, Pentagon was a part of. Um, so it all like they would group each other. I'm sorry. They would group together and, and start creating these feuds that would also ultimately led them to to individual feuds down the road. But I think a lot of like a lot of those like feuds would start as in, in a tag format, whether that's a multi-man tag or two on two. Um, and then usually out of that, then they start spreading into single um, into single one-on-one matches. So it's, I, it's, it's definitely a different take. Yeah. But it's almost like it makes those singles matches way more exciting and effective because it's not something you see every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, and like that's if, where real bets will go into play, such as the mask versus mask, hair versus mask, title versus mask or title versus hair. Like there'll be, you know, some, some, something that you're going to lose outside of just the match itself. Yeah. That, and uh, as we talk, I'm just realizing I need to watch more and more Lucha Libre. Um, but I do want to kind of jump a little bit toward 
we mentioned at the very beginning your podcast. What was it again? Your your podcast, Two Heels in a Face Wrestling, uh, with co-host Chuck Colorado, Charlie Vale. Um, what was it that kind of drove you to? Obviously, you're going to all these local shows, uh, enjoying wrestling. You're you've somehow convinced your who's now your wife may have been your girlfriend at the time to go to a wrestling show with you mm-hmm. sleep for an hour or two, then fly across the country for three more wrestling shows and come back with no other sightseeing just to see wrestling. Like at what point did you kind of realize like, you know what? I love, I love this so much. I want to start sharing about this. I want to start covering this with, with a podcast. So similar to you in the way of. Uh, I started listening to podcasts. I think the I started with uh, when Stone Cold started his podcast. Like I think it was like episode five or six when I found out he had a podcast. And Stone Cold was the guy that I fucking adored during the Attitude Era. Like I was number one fan. Like, um, And I don't know if it was the beer <laughs> or or whatever. But, you know, I. I was, you you had your your rock guys i had, I was stone cold and like charlie my co-host he's a, a sting fan but you had your guy during the attitude era and you know for me it was stone cold so once i found out he had a podcast i started listening and i'm like wait podcast podcast one let me see who else is on there and then i started like listening to a bunch of podcasts um and at the same time i was also you know starting to explore the indie scene the the in- independent wrestling scene here in chicago and i'm like I, I would I, I would love to do a podcast. Uh, is it on wrestling? I'm like, well, if it's on wrestling, like what what can I bring to the table again? Right. That's different. That's and I'm like, in the back of my head, I'm like, well, nobody's covering these shows that I'm going to. Um, and at the same time, Charlie had already started, you know, exploring some stuff with with other um, other friends of his. They were doing another podcast it wasn't consistent uh they always you know had time scheduling and it is hard it's a commitment once you start something so they rebranded to two heels in a face and they did one episode um and then after that it was on on pause but i would still see charlie i would still see jim who was was part of that too and i would see them at, at wrestling shows on a monthly basis we will catch up and we would, you know i would ask them like oh when's the next episode what are you trying to do and eventually um, the interest from other parties weren't there. And Charlie's like, like, Hey, do you want to just, you know, keep going with two heels in a face? Like we've, we've already started it. Like there's one episode and then he did a couple solo episodes and I'm like, like, okay. And then I pitched the idea. Like, what if we cover AAW? Nobody's talking about AAW and, you know, AAW was bringing, bringing people that not other people got to see on a, on, on a weekly basis or they got to see them, but, through Lucha Underground. Like that was my, my thing, right? Like AAW here in Chicago was doing, doing pretty good for themselves and nobody's talking about it. So let's talk about independent wrestling here in the Chicago land area. And then, you know, as the years went by, other companies started popping up. We got to meet more people within the, the wrestling community and we started attending different shows, different events. And that's how we ended up, you know, bringing something different of covering independent shows that people wouldn't normally, you know, cover. And then, you know, Charlie was like, well, how do we make it different? And he had this phrase of wrestling is a buffet. 
you know, because a lot of the rock, the, the podcast that that pod, wrestling podcast at that point, you know, often talked bad about WWE because that was the only product in town and they weren't happy with storylines. And it just become a became, you know, a ranting session at times. And like, well, we don't want to do that. Um, you know, if we're talking about independent wrestling, we're shining the light on those who don't have a lot of spotlight. So let's not talk about shit that we don't like. Uh, let's keep it positive. Let's let's you know. There's always something there for everyone. So with his tagline of wrestling is a buffet, we kind of like just embraced that and said, yeah, like let's do wrestling buffet line uh, style episodes, and you know we'll have different sections. and And I think you were one of the first ones probably that went through the wrestling buffet line, um, where you share your love for for comedy and wrestling, which is something they definitely enjoy. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And. and- I think that's one of the reasons why I was like excited to be on your show was it wasn't a let's talk about all the shitty things that he's doing. It was very much like, here's what I love. Here's, here's why I, here's why I watch this and here are the things I like the most. And it's all about positivity. And I remember I also, uh, when I was on your podcast, the first time was one of the first time, was I think might have been the first season that I was watching The Bachelorette. Okay. And I was able to share with you Kenny King mm-hmm. on the show. Um and I mean what other what other uh, podcasts would that have fit in other than <laughs> yours? Um but now you've been doing this podcast for a few years now. Like how many years has it been? I think it's I think it's four or five. Wow. We're on episode because so when we started, you know, as Charlie and I were trying to figure things out, uh, we're probably pushing out an episode every once every three weeks. Um, And then we're like, let's be more consistent, because one of the things that he wanted to do and he was really, you know, pushing to is like, let's when we record, let's record in person. Um, You know, so I'm like, okay, like I, I had a hard time, like accepting that at first, because I'm like, it just it creates more scheduling conflicts and things like that and we would record i think the first episodes that we recorded were out of charlie's apartment and then um i was able to move in into uh whichever office i moved into um i was able to secure space you know conference space but i knew deep inside like after six o'clock that's gonna be podcast space (laughs) so um you know we were able to do that until now like pandemic hit and it's like well we gotta keep recording um so let's do a virtual and i think you know until covid19 hit is when we decided to start recording virtually but other than that every episode that was recorded was in person we had guests in person um it was rarely anything you know virtual or over the phone yeah it's it's almost like i mean podcasting is like the one thing that's like pandemic proof Mm-hmm. Because it is so versatile, and especially with the technology, like we're recording this over Zoom right now, um, in, in the comfort of our own homes. Uh, I'm not going to say what I'm wearing, but I'll just say I'm very comfortable. <laughs> um, but I think it, it, it's a, it's an amazing medium, and I think it's also great to have this content still being produced. Because people are, they need that escape. And I think wrestling is that escape. And also, I think 
learning about other avenues of wrestling is important um, right now. So it's it, it's great that you're still able to do your show um, through all this. And you've, you've actually branched into watch-alongs as like a an added bonus since everyone has a camera on anyway, you're able to do like watch alongs to wrestling shows Mm -hmm. with a visual element, which I think is, is really exciting. And again, just a tribute to the technology we have available to us. The technology and also like, it's, it's also years of community building, right? I think that's extremely important. Like, you know, you, when you started the podcast, like, you already had, you know, a couple of people, you already know what you wanted to do and you reached out to your immediate community and then that starts branching out and growing. And now it's a bigger community. And, and, and it's, you know, creating a podcast is, is that like, we, that's what we experienced Charlie and I, like when we were going to different promotions, um, we started building, you know, what I call the wrestling familia, like, you know, people that you would see on a monthly basis, on a weekly basis, there'll be so many shows and, you know, that also gave us the opportunity to meet, you know, some people behind the scenes and, you know, like Matt Nix, I think Matt Nix from freelance, um, freelance wrestling, Charlie had this wild idea of buffet brackets, wrestling sub buffet. It was March madness. Let's make a bracket buffet, bra- uh, buffet bracket. And we were like, what are, what are the participants? What are we doing? It's like, well, just wrestling. Like we just started with wrestling promotions, you know, stuff that's on TV, independence, um, some some companies that you know don't get televised but people know of etc so we put all these companies together facing against each other the twitter world were the ones that voted and we did not know that freelance was going to win freelance won that first buffet bracket and that led us to meeting mad nicks and we actually did a custom belt we handed him a belt and ever since you know I, i somehow ended up being you know the ticket guy at the front door of freelance wrestling, just, you know, helping out. So it's, it's just building community, getting to know different people and, and having everyone just kind of enjoy what you enjoy and join it together. I think that's, that's the most important thing, like that you're in an atmosphere where you want to be in and in you're sharing the things that you like with others and they're enjoying it as well. I think that is the, the absolute best case scenario in podcasting. I think one of my goals with this podcast is to kind of create a community where people can just share what they love and maybe opens up like the thought of like, Oh, I never even thought about going into, I don't know, paper mache art, but this person talks so deeply and and lovingly about this. It's like, maybe I should try that. Um, And it is through that, that community building and through discussion and sharing. And you absolutely have done that specifically the Chicago wrestling environment. You've created a platform for a lot of these people in, in the business to share what they're doing. And it's funny that you mentioned the, the, the freelance wrestling way in the buffet bracket. I'm pretty sure that was my second ever freelance wrestling show. And my first one in the Logan Square Auditorium. Um, and I don't think I'd, I'd not, I think I met you for the first time that night because I had known Charlie from college, mm-hmm. but I don't think I knew that was happening. I think I was surprised to see my friend Charlie from college yeah. 
get trying to get the into ring. the rest of the yeah. yeah so that you know we get there early to freelance real quick and so we get there and we're like who do we ask for Matt Madnix was just like just just coming up and you'll be in it's fine we'll talk about what's going to happen um you know because we asked permission if we wonder if we can do this you know belt uh thing you know award them with the belt they didn't have to be on the show but you know Nick's being the guy who he is he's like yeah we'll make it part of the show you guys will kick off the show and you know come on in the ring so we get there and we're waiting you know for the show to start they tell us what we're doing how the hell do you get into a wrestling ring I've never gotten into wrestling and I didn't want to look like a jackass like trying to you know so it's like do we kind of like hop and roll do you like do we just dive into it like what what how do you get it like that was to me like the most nerve-wracking thing how do I get in the ring um so i think charlie like got in and rolled in the ring through the bottom rope um i got in and i kind of like did like a push-up stand so like scooted myself into the ring but that was that was like insane i'm like and and they were like well just go and try it and i'm like you saw you know some wrestlers um you know trying a few things before the show or whatnot and we don't want to interrupt them like who the fuck are we that we're gonna get into this ring and and tell them to like oh watch out we're trying to get into the ring because we've never done this before so yeah we just did it at the, at that point and it was it was super fun and and again um it opened the doors to to getting to know man Nicks and then for us to recap every show after that for him and and promote the upcoming show and it really became you know there's t-shirts there's the tagline it's on their website but freelance is home for us like that that's who allowed us to to try different things and and we we even recorded at the Logan Square Auditorium with with you know Pat Monix and I Candy Elliot and like different wrestlers there. It's it's just been it's been so fun. And at times, you know, you 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 know, especially with the pandemic, it's like things are different. Like, do we still keep this thing going? I'm like, yeah, I don't wanna I don't want the podcast to die. Like we've worked so hard at it. It's something that that you do because it's a passion of yours. But it also takes takes a toll. It takes some time to to produce something that that's worth watching or listening. I think one thing that I've started to understand going into podcasting is the amount of work that it takes. I mean, the interview or the, the conversation, whatever the discussion part is by far the easiest part right. of the podcast. Um, it's all the other stuff. And like, I'm sure everyone listening will realize like, I don't, I'm not a crazy editor. It's, I try to keep as natural conversation as this, but like there is, it does just take some time just to, and just to sit there and listen to your own voice Mm -hmm. again is like torture. But I mean, the, the conversations and, and being able to share this stuff with everyone, I think is really, uh, it's worth all the work. Absolutely. Especially, during the pandemic where social interaction is so low, like to be able to sit down and have an hour long conversation with, with you, Chris, is, is truly it's priceless. Um, and it'd be, I've said this before, it'd be weird to just do this without recording it as crazy as it sounds <laughs> to sit here. Oh, Chris, tell me how you got into Lucha Libre. Like, that'd be a weird first question in a random conversation. But I'm so glad that through this medium, I was able to ask and you're able to, to share that. Um, I think as, as we're kind of wrapping up, 
where obviously your passion started with with lucha libre and now it's kind of branched into like professional wrestling as a whole but like there's still that that core of lucha libre where do you kind of see uh lucha libre going in the future do you do you feel like it's going to do you feel like a lot of wrestling styles are just going to kind of merge or do you feel like there's always going to be that core Lucha Libre sect of pro wrestling? I mean, I think Lucha Libre is always going to have its, its core just because, you know, of, of the promotions that are down in Mexico. And, and there's even, there were even some rumors earlier this, um, this month about, you know, AAA and CMLL, which are the big companies in Mexico merging. Um, I don't know if that's ever going to happen. Wow. That'd be but, huge. But right. And and then especially now, like bringing them to a, a global stage. I mean, you saw when AEW was, was starting off like the, the Lucha Bros and the Lucha Brothers and the Young Bucks, you know, having, you know, title matches in Mexico and here in the U.S. And like there's definitely um, interest there. And, and you know, as the, the more you dig into it, um, you obviously find out all these politics that are in the wrestling world that are often not the the best thing to focus on. So like, it all depends on, on, on what the people who hold the power do. Um, but Lucha Libre as a whole, um, I'm pretty confident that, that, that lore, that culture will still translate, you know, no matter if they merge uh, with other companies or they expand to different audiences. Um, Lucha Libre at the core will still be represented. Um, I don't think, you know, luchadors are not going away. Um, just like, you know, the Japanese style of wrestling also has a tremendous lore and, and they haven't gone away. And New Japan is, I would say, bigger than ever um, or more popular, you know, outside of Japan. You know, same thing with, with Lucha Libre. Like, the luchadors are are getting, you know, contracts into American promotions, to Japanese promotions. So I think that's that's still something that they'll carry with. And, and we'll, we'll experience it, maybe some uh, a slight variation of it. But when you get two luchadors, you know, and I'll talk mainstream, if you get Pentagon and Phoenix at AAW, you're going to get a Lucha Libre match, you know? So no matter where you put these people, like they'll they'll go back to to the core of of their style, and and that's what's going to allow them to to shine and 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 be different from from any wrestler in their card. It's it's just it's it's so exciting. Like the the wrestling industry as a whole right now, um, we're we're truly in a great time. As terrible as the world is right now. Like wrestling is is experiencing <laughs> this like incredible period, um, and it's just it's just so great to just sit down and talk about some of this, um, and just know that the, like other people that are are truly loving what's going on in wrestling right now. Um, before we go. We've talked briefly about your podcast, Two Heels and a Face. Do you want to let everyone know how they can? Uh, listen to that and where they can find it sure thank you for the plug spot um you can uh find two heels in a face at two heels in a face.com facebook twitter instagram two heels in a face that's number two heels in a face uh you can find me on twitter at compadre chris um 
I promise I'll be more active there. I think everything that's been out on my uh, Twitter stream right now is just when I go live in, uh, on Twitch and I've been exploring the world of streaming, uh, which is mainly FIFA. And, you know, I'll do some throwbacks with, um, with my daughter, my five-year-old. Uh, we've played Crash Bandicoot. We've played uh, Super Mario World. So, you know, I, I am on the internet um, and, you know, Two Heels is a place where you can find me for sure on a weekly basis. I, I will say this. I've also started to venture into the, the world of Twitch. Uh, you can find me at Jzaha, J-Z-A-U-C-H-A. Um, I'm streaming Sturdy Valley. Uh, not very well, but definitely check it out. But I will say uh, Chris's streams with his daughter are fantastic. I've caught a couple. One playing Crash Bandicoot, mm-hmm. which I loved in that... Um, I love Crash Bandicoot. It's like one of the is the first PlayStation game I ever played, mm-hmm. and it is it is a perfect game. Um, and it's just fun seeing like a, a a child who obviously has no connection to to Crash Bandicoot, like looking at it from uh, like fresh eyes. I'm like, oh yeah, that's what is what it like, like experiencing right? this like that's, little that's fox the fun guy. Part, yeah. Uh huh. Um. So definitely check out Chris on Twitch. Um, and if you want to catch this podcast, want to know where we can we connect with the What Do You Like podcast, you can go to at What Do You Like podcast on Instagram, at WDYL podcast on Twitter, or go to our website, What Do You Like podcast.com. Chris, it has been an absolute pleasure. Um, hopefully, once all this disease and infection is gone, I will be seeing you in the wonderful Logan square auditorium at a live wrestling show. Um, I'll give you the, the biggest hug at the time once everyone's vaccinated. Um, and yeah, uh, thank you again for this conversation. Thank you to everyone listening. If you've enjoyed what you've listened to, we do this every Tuesday. Um, so definitely check us out in the future give us a subscribe. It's totally free. Or if you really like what you're listening to, give us a five-star review on your favorite platform or just tell a friend. Um, Like I mentioned during the podcast, would love to build a community of people just sharing what they truly love. Um, And that's the goal of this podcast. And with that, we'll see you next time.